Good morning. Hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, and as we look forward to reigning in the new year, I think we get to do that together here on the last Sunday of 2018. What a great year it was. As we now turn our attention to God's Word, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to the 26th chapter of the book of Acts. We'll look at almost the entire chapter, and your worship guide it says through chapter 32, or through verse 32, but I'm really going to be going through verse 20. So this morning we find ourselves in Acts with Paul before King Agrippa. And you might be asking to yourself, why did Taylor choose to preach on a random text in the book of Acts? I've got an answer for you, and it's because I wanted to. That's right, yep, that's the kicker. Truth be told, I thought it would be encouraging to head into 2019 with a passage that might motivate us to be more bold in the art of evangelism. Maybe you're here this morning having never shared your faith with someone else. Or maybe you're here this morning having shared your faith so many times that your Christian conversion rate looks like the offensive coordinator tree chart of head coach of the Alabama football team, Nick Saban. So wherever you find yourselves in terms of having shared your faith, this passage speaks directly to Paul's response after his conversion. So in this chapter, that's exactly what Paul is doing before the grandson of Herod the Great. And that's the same Herod who had Peter arrested and James killed. So he's sharing who he is now, fearlessly appealing to Rome in hopes of getting to speak with Nero himself. So I also found this passage appropriate due to the fact that as a culture, engaging in normal gospel conversations and even simply conversations in general, it's becoming a lost art. Because the art of simply conversing with one another isn't happening like it used to. The core of human interaction for hundreds of years was face-to-face conversation. And more recently, studies have shown that talking only actually occurs when, believe it or not, there's an issue. And I don't believe that Matthew 18.15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and text him his fault. Thus, today's sermon on boldly sharing the gospel might seem even more difficult if we're now a people who tend to retreat from conversation in favor of maybe email or text messaging. Yet we must understand that as Christians, we can't be afraid to speak about our faith when the Holy Spirit is providing opportunities in which to do so. We also have to be willing to be vulnerable, hiding not behind a screen, but with boldness that comes from the Lord. So if you're with me in your Bibles, Acts 26, here now, The word of the Lord. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King." Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. 
And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the honor and privilege that we have here today, Father, gathered in your name. I pray that the Spirit be with us. He open our hearts and our eyes, Lord, to this word. May you continue to be at work in them. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as a hatchet man and a master of dirty tricks during the first term of President Richard Nixon, Chuck Colson played a key role in the vast abuse of power scandal. That would later result in the resignation of said president in, the, in disgrace, obviously, in August of 1974. Watergate, both the break-in and the controversy, would cover or would scar American democracy for years. Colson, who was White House special counsel, whatever that is, was one of the most hated of the Nixon loyalists. And at one point, he infamously joked that he would walk over his own grandmother for his dear friend, Richard Nixon. Colson would be indicted in 1974 for conspiring to cover up the Watergate burglary. He insisted, however, that he pleaded guilty because of his conscience. Raised as a nominal Episcopalian, he had interests in Roman Catholicism as well as Christian science, but it was a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that changed his life forever. He had received it from a friend in August of 1973, so about a year before Amid his legal troubles and, and Lewis's discussion of sin and pride, it struck Colson to his core. He identified with Lewis, as many of us do, in his confession of profoundly knowing it all. That night, this is Colson, when I left this gentleman's home, something happened that had never happened to me before. I was getting into my automobile, and I sat there, and I couldn't drive because I was crying too hard. I spent an hour on the side of the road right next to my friend's home, crying, thinking about my wife, wanting to know God, wanting to be clean. I'm a former Marine captain, and I was the White House tough guy, and I used to never cry, and if I did, I wouldn't let anybody know it. I thought the next morning I would wake up and be embarrassed, but I felt better than I had in years. That realization of his blindness to his own imperfection would lead, he wrote in his book, Born Again, to a New Life in Christ. People think it was a jailhouse conversion, Colson said, that my life fell apart and I converted. But I knew before that I was a different person. I began to have different values and a different attitude. I began to study the Bible. 
I was in a small prayer group with a group of men who really nurtured me and taught me lots of what I needed to know as a Christian and helped me to live my faith. Discussing Watergate after his release from prison, Colson reflected on the pride that brought about his fall, saying that the Nixon administration's main error was allowing our belief in our own power to lead us to arrogance. The decision to go to jail was a humbling and necessary act of penance for Colson, and it was also terrifying, as many of you can imagine. The Watergate period was important to me, Colson said. My prison experience is important to me, but I don't recommend it. Yeah, right? So this morning, I want to answer the question, how do we boldly share the gospel? How do we boldly share the gospel? We'll be going through three points, and the first point this morning is we humbly share who we were before saving faith in Christ. We remember who we were before we knew Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. So we read that, and what do we think? We're faced with who Paul used to be. Raised a Jew, Paul knew the law. He lived by the law so well that he ended up a Pharisee. It's essentially like the NBA or the NFL. You're so good at upholding the law, you made it to the big leagues. Paul became a Pharisee, and as a Pharisee, he persecuted those who denied the efficacy of the law. Put to death, Paul did, those who were followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.6, Paul writes, A persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. This is the extent to which Paul lived a Pharisaic life. He was blameless. Think about that for a minute. He was so good at what he did, Paul upheld righteousness perfectly. His previous Pharisaic integrity established, Paul moves on to say, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And here Paul's saying, I'm not making up some old religion. You know as well as I do, and even affirm the teaching of the Old Testament. This promise to our fathers, this very hope is fulfilled, though, in Jesus of Nazareth. He is this coming Messiah. And yet Paul now finds himself en route to stand trial in Rome for believing this promise made by God throughout the Old Testament. By raising Jesus from the dead, God validated the Old Testament promise of resurrection, and at the same time demonstrating that Jesus was Israel's long-awaited Messiah. And it should not be seen as incredible that God breathed us into the breath, right, with his, breathed us into life with his own breath, let alone raise Jesus from the dead, and that's what Paul is trying to get at here. Only it was this exact point that Agrippa, along with many other Jews, was not willing to, succeed, or to concede. And most Jews did not accept that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, let alone that he was their Messiah. So when confronted with the undeniable fact of his resurrection, Jewish leaders, get this, concocted the story that the disciples stole his body. So while Agrippa accepted the general Jewish belief that resurrection was possible, he did not accept the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, of his Messiahship. So Paul clearly understood that mentality perfectly, having once believed the same way himself. Paul says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, 
But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul actually embraced the characteristics the Lord gave him even before he was saved by Christ. As Christians, what does that look like for you and I? Think about it. Paul used the same energy when he was persecuting the church while still Saul to spread the gospel. Now is Paul in Corinth, Philippi, and Galatia. His gifts didn't change, but what changed was his heart. If you like hosting parties for your church friends, maybe you can host parties for your neighbor friends that you've yet to meet using these same gifts, right? Personality traits and aptitudes were part of the givenness of our creaturehood. And God is willing to use our unique selves to fulfill his eternal purpose for each of our lives. So responding to these three verses, John Calvin wrote, He, Paul, does not spare his own character, but freely makes known his own disgrace, so as long the mercy of God may be revealed more clearly out of it. So here Paul's not sharing his past to emphasize how gnarly of a Pharisee he used to be before his conversion. He's doing it to emphasize just how wicked and sinful he was before he knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Part of sharing the gospel boldly is sharing our personal story in a way that glorifies not our previous exploits so that you can relate to how cool you once were, but it glorifies how gracious the Lord is. So we should not revel in who we were, but rejoice in who we are now in Christ. And Paul was a fanatical persecutor, and by the grace of God, he's now an even more fanatical evangelist. So the story is told of Augustine, the 4th century theologian and bishop of Hippo Hippo in North Africa, who after he confessed faith in Jesus Christ, he ran into a former mistress on the street. Immediately upon recognizing her, Augustine quickly reversed and began swiftly moving in the opposite direction. The woman, surprised by seeing Augustine, maybe probably thought they were friends, right? And equally surprised at him, which all of us would do if you see someone we know, and they turn around and you're like, wait a minute, I know you, you're my friend. She's surprised at his reversal of his route. She cried out, Augustine, it is I. Augustine, continuing to move away from her, replied, Yes, but it is not I. Paul, whose previous persecuting zeal drove him to extreme eradicating measures, he now maintains this same zeal. Only now his energy is used for spreading the gospel. So point two is that we joyfully share what Christ has done in our lives. We joyfully share what Christ has done in our lives. This conviction has to compel you. It has to. To share how the Lord has changed your heart. You knew what it used to be and what it is now after a saving faith in Christ. It has to convict you. So much so to want to tell others about that. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And when, when we read that last line, you obviously know Paul's losing a fight. He's, he's yeah, fighting a losing battle. And oxen will never win when kicking against a sharpened rod used to herd them. Oxen are 2,400 pounds. We'll say Paul is 150 soaking wet. He doesn't have a chance. And that's exactly what he's saying right here. It's hard for you. Jesus is saying it's hard for you to kick against the goads. So stunned 
Blinded and terrified, mighty Saul of Tarsus could only stammer out, Who are you, Lord? And the reply, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Immediately, Paul realizes that Jesus has, in fact, been raised from the dead. Meeting with the risen Jesus literally remade Paul's entire worldview. Philippians 3, verse 7 reads, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He could now testify to the grace of God in his transformation. So our conversion stories we see are personal. Jesus calls Paul by his name. Why? Because God's heart is not impersonal. It's personal. We're not just a people. We're God's people made in his image. Does that sound impersonal to you? Because it doesn't to me. Forget the collective nouns and remember that God created each of us uniquely. And he gifted every one of us different than the other. And because of that, whether your testimony is radical or it's normal, the transaction of Christ's perfect record for your sinful nature, it still occurred. It had to. And you equally need a Savior regardless of how you were saved. John Newton was a wild and angry young man who rebelled against authority at every opportunity. That's like none of the students here, right? Press gained, at the age of 18, into the Royal Navy. He broke its rule so recklessly that he earned himself a public flogging for desertion. Exchanged from his warship to a slave ship, Newton became even wilder in his behavior. I was exceedingly vile, he said. I not only sinned with a high hand myself, but made it my study to tempt and seduce others upon every occasion. Due to his troublemaking, Newton was forced to leave the ship. So Newton's next move involved working for a shore-based slave trader in Sierra Leone. He eventually found his way back to England, and while on the long voyage back, Newton could not help himself. He retreated to his old ways. At this point in his life, despite being brought up in the Christian faith by his devout mother, Newton had become such an aggressive atheist. The trip home felt like an eternity to Newton, and out of boredom, he picked up the only available book on board the ship. Think about how bored he had to be to pick up a book. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. The more Newton read it, the more he started to worry that the words found within it might actually be true. Later that very night, Newton was awakened by one of his shipmates screaming, The ship is sinking! The ship Newton was on was badly holed and waterlogged. Newton, finding himself uncertain about his life, began to pray, Lord, have mercy on us. And thankfully for Newton and the crew, the storm subsided. And Newton felt something that he had never felt before. About this time, he said, I began to know that there is a God who answers prayer. Almost immediately after the events on the boat, Newton's life began to change. The day was March 21st, 1748. And that day came to be known as Newton's great turning day of conversion. Newton went on to pen one of my favorite, if not my favorite, bedtime songs for our son, Amazing Grace. Yet as wonderful as that testimony is, if yours is one of simplicity with little flash, praise the Lord for his steadfastness and grace in your life. And as a father, I hope my son's testimony is as as boring as possible. What Christ has done in your life is equally as glorious as the testimonies that some of you might read about on social media or on blogs. So a transformed man, Paul now has a new commission. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, 
delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul now, from prosecutor, has turned into the world's greatest promoter. Philippians 1.21 reads, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul instantly becomes a witness. This was Paul's commissioning also as an apostle. And as an apostle, Paul was called to proclaim the good news of salvation from judgment through the work of Jesus Christ. And that good news is available to all of us as forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. So salvation comes to anyone who has faith alone in Jesus Christ, apart from any human works. So what does that mean? It means that we're just like Paul. We each have a story to tell, and when we think about who we were, our hearts should immediately fill with joy because we're not that person anymore. This joy carries us, though, to share our faith with others, as Paul is doing just now before Agrippa. And Jesus turning us from sin should excite each one of us to tell others about the forgiveness they too can receive. The world is a dark place, and it's our call as Christians to bring light to it. John 3.19 reads, People loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light exposes this evil, and we should be excited to spread it. So remember, we don't need a teleprompter to do this. Paul isn't speaking from a track or a manuscript. The Holy Spirit's guiding him. Trust that he too will guide you in these moments, and that's part of boldly sharing your faith. You don't have to rely on something written down, your testimony, your What happened to you when you accepted Christ into your heart? That's all you need. Share it. You don't need a script because your testimony, right, has already written it. Paul now commissioned for a specific task is obedient to the terms of his commission. So point three is faithfully respond in your own life. Paul was faithful to proclaim this message that Jesus had entrusted to him. When called into his presence, we faithfully respond. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Obedience is an essential condition to the Christian life. Essential. Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you? Paul wastes no time in expressing his obedience by evangelizing. He's sharing and declaring to all people everywhere, both Jews and Gentiles, saying repent and believe. Repentance involves a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Paul was going his own way, and what happened? He got turned around by the grace of God. His new way meant that he then too was turning to God. When we turn to God, how we live out our faith is itself part of the faith. We're saved by faith alone, but true saving faith is never alone. Justification and sanctification, inseparable. So like Paul, we too were called to faithfully respond. Paul was obedient to the Lord. He was faithful and he bore witness to what Christ had done in him. Why? Because this is what Jesus has said his people were to do. It's all in this book. Acts 1.8 reads, but you will receive, and this is Jesus, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
As Christians, we're set apart to faithfully proclaim the gospel message to all. So how do we do this? Word and deed. It's that simple. We share who we once were and who we are now. And we actively respond. It's a challenge, right, that each of us face. But if we're not testifying to God's grace, we must examine ourselves to see if we, in fact, have met Jesus. And it doesn't sound easy, but it's something you have to do. If turned from our sin, our response should be one of joy from sharing our stories of conversion. You don't keep it to yourself. You go and you tell. From lost to saved. We should desire to share our faith because our gospel is one of a crucified but risen Savior who is proclaimed above all others. While the world continues to put up barriers and reject Christ and his life, we will boldly as Christians proclaim the message of our risen Lord and Savior who died for all of our sins, hoping that those who hear come to a saving faith in Christ. And if anyone here this morning does not find themselves followers of Jesus Christ, know that he died for you too. John fourteen six reads, And no one comes to the Father except through me. You too are free to come to him. So pray and ask him now to forgive you of your sins. So how do you boldly share the gospel? Well, first of all, you have to use your voice. You have to tell someone about the redemptive, soul-saving, soul-changing work Christ has done in your own life. Not even James Earl Jones could tell your story like you can. I mean, you might argue, well, Samuel L. Jackson might, but neither of them, right, have voices good enough that could do justice to the story in which you can share because it's personal. So you don't overthink it. You don't fret about the little things and remember that the Holy Spirit is at work. So like Paul, Chuck Colson is proof that there is redemption in this lifetime, even for a man who sinned greatly. He's proof that Jesus still saves. And that dark night of the soul can lead to a new dawn. If we believe Jesus is who he says he is, our lives should be spent proclaiming that. People kept saying to me, how do we know you're for real? Colson said, don't judge me now. Judge me 10 years from now. And what I realized when God got a hand on my own life is that there's no turning back. I wouldn't turn back for anything in the world. And this was a man who had access to the White House. Think about that. I think about that night in the driveway when I cried out to God and I realized for the first time what a sinner I was. And I also realized I just learned it from the man who witnessed to me. Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I felt so free, but also so grateful to God that ever since, Colson said, I'll do anything God calls me to do, anything. The 37 years of Chuck Colson's life after prison were dedicated to his ministry, Prison Fellowship. And Colson, faithful to the call in his life, This ministry now is committed to prisoner reform and habilitation and rehabilitation. And it's represented not just in America, but in 113 different countries. Think about that. Colson was faithful and he responded because God changed his heart. 
We boldly share the gospel. We use our voice and we tell our own stories of a Savior who came to bear the weight of our sins, who died on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven. And we now have this assurance of faith knowing that others want to be free from this sin, just like Chuck Colson was. You have to be bold. And what that means is you have to just be willing to talk to people. And it's hard to do sometimes. I'm, I'm right there. But like Chuck Colson, we can see what happens when the grace of God enters into our lives and we just faithfully respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. and We thank you for the love that you have shown us through your son Jesus. Lord, may we, may we continue to seek after him, Lord. May we continue to place our faith, our trust, our hope, Lord, in him because of who he is. Lord, we thank you again for the season of Advent and how we were reminded of his life and ultimately of his death, Lord. We thank you again for bringing us here this day so that we could worship you corporately as your people here on earth. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.